a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, whether you're a longtime wrong thinker or just wrong think curious, you're going to find that this is a program that's not determined to tell you what to think, but is very determined to give you plenty to think about. You see, your mind is your own, and authority is not the source of truth. Nope, it's not going to be handed to you by somebody in a uniform or somebody in a suit and tie or somebody in a lab coat. You and I have to become the equivalent of human truth detectors. So I'm going to share the best information that I can find. I spend, I'm not joking, I spend just about every waking moment in my downtime. I'm always scanning and looking and checking my email because I have wonderful listeners like you who send me articles that are worthwhile and thought-provoking. What you do with that information, though, is up to you. There's no implied obligation. Well, you're listening to the show. You have to believe everything I say. You don't. So hopefully that lifts a burden from you and you can just kick back and enjoy. Although I'm going to warn you, I got some fairly heavy topics to talk about today. First, I want to thank my sponsors, GovernYourIncome.com, SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com, also HSLAmmo.com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, LifesavingFood.com, and MonticelloCollege.org. So, where to begin today? I think, first of all, I want to start out with a little expression of gratitude. You know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't take a few minutes to consciously feel gratitude for those principled voices out there who have refused to yield to the people and the various systems that seem determined to rule us. And Ron Paul has been one of those voices for a long, long time. I'm trying to think back to when I first started to read uh, some of his regular columns on LewRockwell.com. And I want to say this goes back to probably, I want to say 1999. I know, you know, the getting, getting reliable Internet service throughout, to the, throughout to our work and, and even at home was still a matter. I think, we, I can't remember if we were still using dial-up at that time or if we had graduated to, uh, you know, something really advanced like DSL. But my point is Ron Paul has been in the battle for a long, long time. And I've got a great commentary from him making the case for taking back our liberty in 2022. He says, for those of us who value liberty, these past two years have been a bad dream. It seems like we fell asleep in early 2020 and we woke up in 1984. They said that if we just put on a mask and stayed home for two weeks, we'd be able to return to normal. Well, the two weeks came and went. And instead of going back to normal, they added more restrictions. These past two years have been a story of moving goalposts and experts like Anthony Fauci constantly contradicting themselves. Ron Paul says, early on in April 2020, I warned in an article titled, Next in Coronavirus Tyranny, Forced Vaccinations and Digital Certificates, that the ultimate goal of the two weeks crowd was to force vaccines and a vaccine passport on Americans. Now, he says, at the time, my concerns were written off as just another conspiracy theory. 
But less than a year later, that conspiracy theory became conspiracy fact. And he says, I'm not happy about being right on this. The introduction of vaccine passports was, from the beginning, my worst nightmare. The idea that you must show your papers to participate in society is a concept that's totally opposed to a free society. In fact, he says it is inhuman. The history of these past two years is that the worst ideas have been adopted by force, and anyone questioning those ideas has been suppressed by force. We learned recently that Dr. Fauci and the director of the National Institutes of Health conspired to deliver a quick and devastating takedown of the esteemed scientists behind the Great Barrington Declaration. Now, were the Great Barrington Declaration scientists horribly wrong? Fauci and his boss couldn't have cared less. They weren't interested in a debate. Their only goal was to shut down any opposing views. That's not science. It's ideology, politics, and probably self-interest. Ron Paul says, as my son Rand said on a recent library or Liberty report, rather, thousands of people died because Fauci refused to consider the proven effectiveness of natural immunity against COVID. He and his colleagues were determined to deny any outpatient treatments and insisted on vaccines as the only way out. Now, as we see the vaccines performing so poorly versus natural immunity, their whole strategy lies in tatters. And he asks, will anyone apologize to the relatives of all those who died? Ron Paul says, when we look back at these two years, hopefully one thing that will be remembered is how the institutions of state power have all lost their credibility. They've been exposed as frauds and worse. In a recent massively popular Joe Rogan interview with Dr. Robert Malone, inventor of the mRNA technology that is the backbone of the vaccines, Malone discusses the disturbing concept of mass formation psychosis, where fear and manipulation are used to drive a society mad in the service of a group of elites with an agenda. We saw it in Germany in the 1930s. As Charles Mackay wrote in the 19th century about the madness of crowds, humans go insane in groups, but recover slowly and one at a time. What is to be done to defeat tyranny in 2022? Ron Paul says we must continue to tell the truth. The truth is winning, and the liars are losing. One by one, their lies are being exposed, but he says it's not an easy task. Each of us in 2022 can do a little something to promote truth. So he says, do what you can. The rewards are great. Now you may be wondering to yourself, okay, fair enough, Ron Paul, what can I do? And you know, here's the cool thing. I don't think he's giving you any one-size-fits-all approach. Well, there are your marching orders. Now go out there and, and proclaim the truth. And I wouldn't presume to do that as well. I do think that every one of us has the opportunity somewhere in our lives to stand as a beacon of truth. And and here's the kicker. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything. Sometimes it's simply a matter of asserting yourself and behaving in the way that uh, your, your behavior proclaims the truth more clearly than your words ever could. I mean, I've shared this experience before. But, uh, but I'll, I'll just use it as a small illustration <clears throat> of how that might work. Back when masking was being mandated, 
and I mean being really mandated. Every business, you know, has the signs on their doors. Masks are mandated here, and, you know, people were going around as little self-appointed appointed hall monitors and shaming those who weren't wearing masks. That was a pretty hard time to go shopping, and this was at a time when I was living along the Wasatch Front, and, and uh, I don't know why it is. Higher population areas... I guess there's just more people, so there's more people who are uh, prone to to buy into that mass formation psychosis. But my boys and I went to the store, went to the Cal Ranch store, and uh, we decided not to wear our masks. We don't wear masks, you know, anyways. Wherever, Wherever possible, we would not wear masks. We went in, conducted our business. We're standing in line waiting to check out. And I watched a young man walk in from the parking lot and pulling a mask from his pocket as he came through the door. He was ready to mask up if he needed to. But he just, he took a quick glance at the three of us standing in line, maskless, and you could see him make the decision and put the mask back in his pocket and on he walked to go do his shopping. Simple things. Little things like that. We didn't, and we we weren't, you know, given high fives and yeah, own the libs, you know, or any kind of thing like that. It was just, it was just the power of example. And you know what? I've had people whose example has likewise strengthened my resolve. That's right. I'm going to be more sure and more firm about where I stand. But Ron Paul is correct. The truth is winning. The liars are losing. We're going to go into some more detail on that as uh, we delve into today's show. But just know you're going to have to make up your mind. You're going to have to make that choice. This isn't something that we can safely sit out on the sidelines because it will affect every one of us. But let me alleviate any of the pressure you may be feeling about, oh boy, I don't know if I'm ready to go out there and take on the world. You don't have to take on the world. Just recognize that you have influence, and I mean real influence. There are people who look to you as an example You know, for good or for bad. Unfortunately, it it does work both ways. Within that circle of influence, though, you can make a real difference. And even if it isn't the whole world, it's still a difference. So I'm encouraging you, find the steel in your backbone. I want you to become a steely-spined butt-kicker for, well, for goodness. (laughs) Hopefully that's not a contradiction in terms, but stick around. We'll be back right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. A quick shout out here to my sponsor, lifesavingfood.com. This is food storage and emergency preparedness. It is a wise idea. And, uh, you know, I have to share a little bit of news with you. I just got a notification from Kendall Whiting, who's the owner of lifesavingfood.com. He has received notification from his distributors that uh, there's going to be a significant price hike in food storage, and this is happening everywhere, okay? It's not, they're getting greedy. Their costs of doing business are going up. The costs of getting food are going up. You look at the costs of even growing food, what the farmers are facing for the coming year, it's going up. 
So just a word of warning. On February 1st, you're going to see a pretty decent increase. I can't remember if it's like 10 or 15%, but yeah, inflation is doing its work. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you the prices that you can get today are the best prices you're going to get for the foreseeable future. So don't delay for too long. I mean, it's if it's something that you've been thinking about doing, probably better to act sooner than later. Don't panic. Just, you know, make an informed decision. But understand, inflation and time are not working in our favor on this matter. Go to lifesavingfood.com. There's a link in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. All right. Having said that, I'm going to apologize in advance here because I am beating the drum relentlessly in urging people to listen to Joe Rogan's interview with Dr. Robert Malone. And I'm actually going to be sharing a number of different articles in today's show that, uh, that should help illustrate why this conversation may be one of the most important interviews that you've heard in ages. I'm looking at an article from The Defender. This is from Children's Health Defense News and Views by Madhava Seti, MD, who says, Something monumentally important happened in the closing days of 2021. Joe Rogan, host of the widely viewed Joe Rogan Experience podcast, interviewed one of the world's most qualified and unbiased individuals about the safety and efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccines now deployed upon nearly 4 billion human beings. Dr. Robert Malone, originally an academic pathologist, has run more than 100 clinical trials, mostly in the vaccine and drug repurposing spaces. He has been involved in nearly every infectious disease outbreak since the AIDS epidemic, has worked for the National Institutes of Health, awarding millions of dollars in contracts for vaccines and biodefense, and spent countless hours at Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Advisory Committee for immunization practices meetings. Now, Malone works closely with the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, knows Dr. Anthony Fauci personally, and is possibly best known for his instrumental work in developing the platform for mRNA-based vaccine technologies more than 30 years ago. On December 30th, on December 30th, rather, 2021, Malone and Rogan sat down in Rogan's studio in Austin, Texas, and recorded a riveting three-hour conversation. Rogan stands alone as an independent voice outside of corporate media, that's able to reach a politically and ideologically diverse audience of 11 million or more per episode. Look, I'm small fish in the podcasting game, but I'm telling you, that is, that's remarkable. 11 million or more clicks, (laughs) people tuning into each episode. CNN wishes it had those kind of numbers. Nope, keep on dreaming. The article goes on to say, similarly, Malone is an outspoken critic of vaccine mandates who represents the opinion of a large and growing number of researchers and clinicians who believe our approach to the pandemic has been poorly conceived and stands in opposition to basic tenets of immunology, epidemiology, and emerging real-world data. It was clear both were prepared for the encounter, Rogan reported he'd been following the doctor's tweets, has been reading everything Malone has been writing, and was clearly versed in the latest and most salient scientific findings. Malone, though honed by countless appearances on various platforms, admitted this interview was special because of its potential impact on public opinion. Now, the conversation opened with Malone summarizing his bona fides 
and then describing his approach to engaging his audiences. Malone said, I try really hard to get people the information and help them to think, not tell them what to think. Sounds familiar. Malone was true to his method throughout, being careful to identify fact from speculation, noting what is observed without assuming intent, while helping Rogan explore the rabbit holes that we inevitably encounter when choosing to look just a bit further beyond what's become socially acceptable. Now, the two spoke of Malone's recent loss of his Twitter account. The doctor was banned from the platform without warning or explanation. He speculated it may have been due to one or both of his final two tweets, one which brought attention to the Canadian COVID Care Alliance's summary of the Pfizer trial, the other to the World Economic Forum's strategy for managing media around COVID. Rogan repeatedly voiced his concern around the silencing of opinions from legitimate experts. Here's how Malone responded, quote, If it's not okay for me to be a part of the conversation, even though I'm pointing out facts that may be inconvenient, then who can be allowed? Virtually all others that have my background have conflicts of interest. He says, I'm not getting any money out of this. End quote. Over the next two and a half hours, the two demonstrated how we can make sense of conflicting messaging and complex data by asking the right questions and being open to the answers, if they exist. The vaccinologist, inventor, and staunch advocate for informed consent told his personal story of getting COVID, suffering from long COVID, getting the Moderna vaccination, and suffering adverse events like stage 3 hypertension, heart arrhythmias, restless leg syndrome, and narcolepsy after the second jab. Rogan took advantage of his time with Malone, asking questions media refused to pose to their own identified experts. The result was a full-scale repudiation of our pandemic response from its inception to the vaccine mandates that are in violation of the Nuremberg Code. Malone and Rogan thoroughly probed many angles of our present situation, from T-cell dysfunction to the Trusted News Initiative. And what's cool is here they actually go through and give you some of the key points involved with time codes. So at 24 minutes, 19 seconds, they'll talk about an estimated 500,000 COVID deaths that resulted from the suppression of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. 25 minutes, 39 seconds in, former head of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, Dr. Janet Woodcock, how she intentionally prevented doctors from using hydroxychloroquine outside of the hospital setting. It's one of the few antiviral medications safe in pregnancy and is largely ineffective once a person's been hospitalized. There's a time stamp of 31 minutes, 10 seconds, where pharma industry has been engaging in systematic efforts to discredit ivermectin. And they also talk about in the follow-up right after that how COVID deaths in the Indian state of Uttar Pradesh plummeted soon after packets of medicine were distributed to their population. Now, it's suspected these packets included ivermectin, but that's never been formally disclosed. This puzzling policy went into effect soon after a meeting between President Biden and Prime Minister Modi. And they go on and on through the whole two hours. So here's the conclusion. Dr. Malone concludes, there are two hills that I'm willing to die on. The first is stopping the jabs on children. The other is resisting the erosion of free speech. Now, it's clear the former can only be accomplished if the latter is as well. 
through this uh, three-hour, though this three-hour exchange sheds light on numerous challenges we face as a society, it can only result in real transformation if people are willing and able to listen. Four days after the content was released, YouTube pulled the video from its platform, but you can still see it on places like BitChute. Look, someone is trying desperately to control what you have access to, what you are allowed to consider, how you are allowed to assess the situation before you. I can't think of a nice way to say this, so I'll just come right out and say it. The censors are never on the right side of history. Never. Just keep that in mind. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. My goal is not to bring more anger to the discussion, nor is it to bring more fear, because we've got plenty of those things going around. Lots of anger, lots of fear. I am going to ask you to consider some hard things, though. But I hope you understand, I do what I do, not as the expert who knows it all and is sitting here dictating from my ivory tower what you must believe, but I'm doing this as a friend. And it's it's a friend who is doing their best to give you information that may be useful, maybe it isn't, I don't know, that's up to you to decide. But I would consider myself less than a friend if I just sat on this and was quiet because I don't want to make waves. I don't want to make anybody upset or anything. I'll grant you some people are going to go, Ooh, Brian, this is hard. I don't know if I can handle it. Look, I feel the same way. There are a lot of unpleasant truths that I'm facing on a daily basis and going, dang it. <laughs> this, is, this isn't this is what I wanted, but uh, oh well. Oh well, here we go. On the same note, uh, talking about Joe Rogan's podcast with uh, Dr. Malone, isn't it interesting? YouTube pulled the, the article over misinformation, and, and there were also concerns, and this I want to delve into this, concerns that Malone compared our current cultural climate with Nazi Germany. And it's been my experience. People do get upset when you start saying, hey, look, there are parallels between how the Nazis came to power and the, the path that we are treading right now. It doesn't have to be a literal thing. My gosh, people are goose-stepping around. Have you noticed the president has this funny little toothbrush mustache? That's not the case. It's the direction in which we are going. It's the the methods which are being used. And to to point this out, both uh, France's President Macron and also uh, Prime Minister Trudeau uh, in, in Canada, in the last couple of days, have made some extremely inflammatory statements about the unvaccinated. And, and when I say extremely inflammatory, I mean they're saying things like, these people, they, I, don't even, I don't even know how we tolerate them. They're just taking up space. And there's just this demonization of the unvaccinated. I mean, sorry, but there was a very similar tactic that was used to help foment a mass formation psychosis oh back in the 1930s but it wasn't the unvaccinated it was the jews that were being targeted so it may make you uncomfortable maybe you want to invoke godwin's law oh you mentioned hitler louis can't even discuss this 
want to share with you a couple excerpts from this is from a New York Post article. And it's so interesting because the New York Post obviously is no fan of Dr. Malone. They 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 refer to him as a vaccine scientist notorious for making controversial statements regarding the COVID-19 jab. Well, isn't that something? Controversial statements about the COVID-19. Nothing could be controversial if you just agree with this. So apparently it says uh, in the inflammatory podcast episode, which YouTube deleted mere hours after it appeared, Malone compared the current U.S. public health climate to Germany in the 1920s and 30s when the Nazis rose to power. Malone said the uprising was the result of free-floating anxiety which could only be quelled by a leader with a singular message. It was, from basically European intellectual inquiry into what the heck happened in Germany in the 20s and 30s, argued the 62-year-old physician, who claims he invented the mRNA technology widely used in the COVID-19 vaccines. Little sneering there on your part, NY Post, but okay. Very intelligent, highly educated population, and they went barking mad. Okay, hold up here a second. Is Dr. Malone wrong in that uh, in the way that he's portraying what happened in German society in the twenties and thirties? Because that pretty well squares with my understanding of history as well. Very intelligent, highly educated, first world population, but they turned loose of their moral foundations. And they were caught up in the spell of not only, you know, a a leader with a singular message and a very powerful, you know, call, we must restore our place of honor among the nations of the earth. But they also had a lot of fears that they were facing. Okay, the fears of Bolshevism, which, by the way, was a legitimate fear. Anybody who was paying attention to what had happened in Russia with the Red Revolution, you know, they they knew the Bolsheviks are serious and deadly. They were facing financial ruin, a, tr- a fallout still from the Treaty of Versailles. They were facing terror. After all, the Reichstag burned in 1933. Now, see, do we have any of those things that we're, we're trying to deal with? Let's see, we've got the fear of terrorism still. I mean, you know, the war on terror has kind of slowed down a little bit, but... I mean, we're still drone striking people all around the world, so I'm assuming it must still be uh, a thing. We've got this horrible illness that has people in fear. We do have economic uncertainty. Here's how Dr. Malone described it. He chalked up this phenomenon to mass formation psychosis saying when you have a society that's become decoupled from each other and has free-floating anxiety in a sense that things don't make sense, we can't understand it, he added. Then their attention gets focused by a leader or series of events on just one small point, just like hypnosis. They literally become hypnotized and can be led anywhere. Now, again, you can disagree with his conclusion. Well, we're not being turned into a bunch of Nazis. I don't think that's what he's claiming. I think what he's saying is the masses can be misled and they can be taken advantage of through fear and through the exploitation of that fear. Now, the New York Post says elsewhere in the interview, Malone reportedly made various unfounded statements regarding the coronavirus vaccine. (laughs) That's according to Forbes. Yeah, he challenged the narrative. 
I love this quote. The rogue scientist insisted our government is out of control on this and they are lawless. They completely disregard bioethics. They completely disregard the federal common rule. They have broken all the rules that I know of that I've been trained on for years and years. These mandates of an experimental vaccine are explicitly illegal. The rogue scientist insisted. (laughs) I mean, talk about some heavy laden words. Previously, he had claimed the Moderna and Pfizer shots would exacerbate infections, a statement that went against the prevailing research regarding vaccines, The Atlantic reported. Remember, they did a hit piece on him as well. Look, all I'm going to ask you to consider is, are the vaccinated getting and spreading COVID? Simple yes or no answer. Because if the answer is yes, then it is exacerbating infections. It's not, it's not preventing them. It's not stopping them. Now, YouTube has yet to give a definitive reason why they axed the episode. However, a link to the deleted video shows it was removed for violating the platform's community guidelines, suggesting that misinformation was the cause. Now, suffice it to say, the interview's banishment didn't sit well with many viewers who claimed the removal suppressed the scientists' views, no matter how controversial they may be. YouTube has now removed the Joe Rogan interviews of both Robert Malone as well as Dr. Peter McCullough, tweeted one Malone supporter, two of the most notable and accomplished experts in the world. I did like this twist. Texas Congressman Troy Nels wrote, Today I submitted the transcript from the Joe Rogan Experience, podcast number 1757, with Dr. Robert Malone to the congressional record. Big Tech wants to restrict your access to this information, but they cannot censor the congressional record. The rabble-rousing researchers said in an interview with with, uh, Laura Ingram, what the media doesn't understand is that you can't suppress information. It finds a way to be free. So apparently the banned episode had aired just a day after Malone was kicked off Twitter for sharing a video on the alleged harmful effects of the Pfizer vaccine. That's according to the Metro. And and New York Post says the disgraced doctor addressed his exile on the aforementioned Joe Rogan experience episode, claiming, I try really hard to give people the information and to help them to think, not to tell them what to think. I mean, look, the loaded words that the New York Post is using, the disgraced doctor, you know, this this harmful, this, this rogue physician... They're really trying hard to uh, to put a nail in this guy's coffin. But they cannot escape the logic of what he's asking here. And that is, if it's not okay for me to be a part of this conversation, even though I'm pointing out scientific facts that may be inconvenient, then who can be allowed? And, and more importantly, I would add to his question, who gets to determine who can be allowed? I mean, I'm sorry, but this is... This is serious stuff. And by the way, it's not the first time that a, a controversial figure, at least in the, in the words of this article, was forced to face the music after using a Nazi analogy. Back in February, do you remember actress and mixed martial arts pioneer Gina Carano being kicked off Disney's The Mandalorian over a social media post that compared being a Republican to being Jewish in Nazi Germany? You know, the clampdown on free speech is getting a little more intense. I wonder why. Somebody seems very nervous. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. By the way, if you'd like to subscribe and uh, receive a copy of my show notes, complete with those all-important hyperlinks, I will send it to you every day that I uh, publish the show notes. Simply send me your email address. You can do that by subscribing at thebrianheidshow.com. I, I love to see more and more people subscribing. I understand for, not everybody has time to sit and listen to me, and, and that's fine. That's fine. I do have some great articles to share, and hopefully it's something that will add to your understanding of the world around us. And I know that I'm really beating the drum on this. Listen to the Joe Rogan and, and Dr. Malone interview, but... I really want you to decide for yourself. Don't don't be content to, to let some censor tell you, oh, no, no, that's stuff you don't even want to mess with. You make the choice. Maybe you'll be able to tell after five minutes. I don't know. But it's worth the whole three hours that it takes to hear that interview. And you will definitely hear things that, uh, that the mainstream media dares not say. And if you're curious, you might just ask, why? Why is that? All right, shifting gears. David Butler's back with his third installment on his series on American prophets. And this time around, he's spotlighting Ronald Reagan and some of his prophetic insights. Now, I hope you'll understand, he's not making a, you know, apples to apples comparison with the prophets of the Bible as, you know, individuals chosen by God to speak for God. And, you know, he, he, he points this out at the beginning of each one of the articles he's written. He first highlighted George Washington. He then highlighted Dwight D. Eisenhower. But he says, I really think that there is, as a fan of American history, I often think of historic figures as similar to the prophets of the Bible, whose lives, experiences, achievements, and words take on greater meaning over time and provide us with guidance concerning the great challenges we face today as a nation. And in his view, he says, there are three such American prophets that he's pointing toward, George Washington, Dwight Eisenhower, and Ronald Reagan, each of whom presented the American people with prophetic farewell messages that speak loudly today. And if we listen closely, we can find some guidance and counsel to guide our collective future. So Ronald Reagan became the 40th president of the United States defeating incumbent Jimmy Carter on November 4th, 1980. Reagan won a decisive victory over Carter, carrying 44 states and receiving 489 electoral votes to Carter's 49 in six states, plus Washington, D.C. And by the way, Reagan also won the popular vote, receiving 50.7% to Carter's 41.0%, with independent John B. Anderson garnering 6.6%. Now, David Butler says it's fair to say that the presidencies of Eisenhower and Reagan served as bookends at the beginning and end of the Cold War against the Soviet Union, both determined to avoid global war while seeking to stop the spread of communism. Like Washington, Reagan led the United States out of a period of great uncertainty and often utilized simple but patriotic prose to inspire the American people to achieve greater things for themselves, their families and their nation. Through determination, optimism, and a commitment to a clear set of principles grounded in faith, including his faith in in America's founding and the Constitution, faith in our free market system, and faith in the goodness of the American people, during his eight years in the White House, Reagan reignited the American economy, reestablished American leadership in the world, and renewed the American public's sense of pride and purpose. 
Now, I'm just going to add a quick aside here. This is in no way is suggesting that Ronald Reagan was uh, was the saints who monk, walk among us, you know, kind of individual. He had his flaws, without a doubt. But I do think back to his presidency, and I think, you know, that's the last time somebody really presidential was in that office. Mistakes or no mistakes, and there there were plenty of mistakes. There was a certain uh, respect that he seemed to carry for that office that I did, I did not see in the other occupants who followed him, including George H.W. Bush, including Bill Clinton and George W. Bush and Barack Obama and even Donald Trump. I probably don't even have to go on about uh, the current occupant. In a televised speech from the White House, Reagan delivered his farewell address to the nation, and like Washington and Eisenhower, Reagan sought the opportunity to share his experience and perspective with the American public, noting, soon it'll be time for me to go, but before I do, I wanted to share some thoughts, some of which I've been saving for a long time. Here's one of them. He says, the way I see it, there were two great triumphs, two things that I'm proudest of. One is the economic recovery in which the people of America created and filled 19 19 million new jobs. The other is the recovery of our morale. America is respected again in the world and looked to for leadership. Now, David Butler says, Reagan reminded the American people of the ever-present naysayers, experts, and talking heads who were confident his plans wouldn't work, that his simple approach was not enough to tackle complex problems. Reagan said, well, back in 1980, pundits said our programs would result in catastrophe. Our views on foreign affairs would cause war. Our plans for the economy would cause inflation to soar and bring about economic collapse. I even remember one highly respected economist saying back in 1982 that the engines of economic growth have shut down here and they're likely to stay that way for years to come. Well, he and the other opinion leaders were wrong. The fact is what they called radical was really right. What they called dangerous was just desperately needed. End quote. And David Butler says once again, Reagan expressed confidence in America's founding principles and his faith in the American people noting that personal, political, and economic freedom is the secret sauce to sustained prosperity for all people. Reagan said, but as long as we remember our first principles and believe in ourselves, the future will always be ours. We meant to change a nation, and instead, we changed a world. Countries across the globe are turning to free markets and free speech and turning away from the ideologies of the past. Now, Reagan reminded the American people that the success of his administration was the result of his consistent focus on the fundamentals, the guidance, the wisdom, and the truth of the founding of the United States and the unique notion that the people are sovereign and government's power is derived from the consent of the people, a departure from all governments in the past and many in the present. Here's how Reagan put it. Ours was the first revolution in the history of mankind that truly reversed the course of government and with three little words, we the people... We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. Almost all the world's constitutions are documents in which governments tell the people what their privileges are. Our constitution is a document in which we the people tell the government what it is allowed to do. That is a significant difference. I wonder how many Americans understand that today. David Butler says, looking ahead, Reagan outlines a challenge to Americans. To maintain our freedom and prosperity as individuals and a nation, we must nurture and cultivate an appreciation for our nation's founding principles in every succeeding generation. 
Reagan said, but now some things have changed. Younger parents aren't sure that an unambivalent appreciation of America is the right thing to teach modern children. We've got to do a better job of getting across that America is freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise. And freedom is special and rare. It's fragile. It needs protection. And let me offer lesson number one about America. All great change in America begins at the dinner table. So tomorrow night in the kitchen, I hope the talking begins. And children, if your parents haven't been teaching you what it means to be an American, let them know and nail them on it. That would be a very American thing to do. One final thought here. You know, this is, this is uh, what uh, these American prophets presented, according to David Butler. He says, the three presidents who led America through periods of crisis, uncertainty, and conflict, and whose experience, achievements, and insights offer us wisdom and guidance today, presented insights to address the complicated issues of today. And these are just a few. Promoting unity as Americans, first and foremost, and we're not talking enforced unity, but voluntary unity, to guard against factions, foreign entanglements, and so-called experts in industry, science, academia, and the bureaucracy, and finally, to maintain faith in our nation's founding principles, faith in the American people, and faith in Almighty God. David Butler says it's, it's simple, really. But then again, most profound things are. As we learned from Jesus, the one whom the prophets foretold, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. I know, it makes people uncomfortable. Brian, you're mixing religion and politics here. Um, I'm thinking, I think what I'm mixing is the, the concept that freedom is not something that can be easily separated from the divine. And the people who, in my eyes, best understand freedom are people who understand its connection to the divine. For the record, I'll go right out and tell you, I think freedom is the greatest gift that God has ever given us. And I don't know that very many people appreciate it, but for those of us who do, let's make sure we don't squander that great gift and maybe show some appreciation to its author. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there, and welcome to the show. This show does not have all the answers to life's problems, but uh, by gosh, we are asking the kinds of questions that could conceivably lead one to finding those answers. Yeah, it took me a while to figure this out, but uh, sometimes it's just a matter of knowing the right questions and maintaining that healthy sense of skepticism to what people in authority are telling you you must believe. And wow, do we live in an interesting time where, you know, we are we are seeing a real clampdown on the types of information that uh, we're allowed to consider. You know, the, the people who offer views that are counter to the prevailing narrative, which somehow always seems to fit, you know, the agenda of those who are in power. 
yeah, those those people uh, oftentimes have very useful information for us if we're allowed to consider it. So to the extent that there are those trying to prevent you from considering other ideas, other vantage points from which to assess the situation, this program exists to offer you a little uh, more fleshed-out picture of what's going on. I can't guarantee that it's all right, but I will do my level best never to mislead you. Keeping in mind that I'm still learning and trying to assimilate all that information myself. I have great sponsors who make this show possible. They include MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, also the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, HSLAmmo.com, SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com, and GovernYourIncome.com. Well, I wanted to start with, uh, you know, I know tomorrow is January 6th, and I'm not trying to steal anybody's thunder or rain on their parade, but there's going to be a lot of melodrama, there's going to be a lot of emoting, and from the political class, you're likely to see a lot of wallowing in a sense of victimhood. Oh, the worst thing that ever happened the day that the Trump sent all those horrible hooligans to try to insurrect and throw out the government. And, and it's, it is. It's, it's a passion play. Does it reflect reality? Well, there's the question, because I, I would say reality is a little bit strained as to the events of January 6th. In fact, I've got an article here from Julie Kelly listing out the reasons why that insurrection narrative is in deep trouble. Its title is One Year Later, More Lingering Questions About January 6th. Julie Kelly says a bombshell report just published in Newsweek details an in-depth secret operation conducted by the Justice Department before and during January 6th. Now, contrary to the lamentations of FBI Director Christopher Wray that he wished his agency had 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 better resources to prevent the Capitol breach, hundreds of elite forces under Wray's authority were on standby just days before the protest and even on the ground as it happened. The shadowy commandos stationed at Quantico, home of the FBI Academy, on January 2nd, 2021, included the FBI's hostage rescue team and SWAT teams. On the morning of January 6th, most of these forces staged closer to downtown Washington, particularly after intelligence was received, indicating a possible threat to FBI headquarters building or the FBI's Washington field office. Newsweek investigative reporter William M. Arkin wrote FBI tactical teams arrived on Capitol Hill early in the day to assist in the collection of evidence at sites, including the Republican and Democratic Party National Headquarters, where explosive devices were found. FBI SWAT teams and snipers were deployed to secure nearby congressional office buildings. Other FBI agents provided selective security around the U.S. Capitol and protection to congressional members and staff. An FBI tactical team, according to the report, entered the building immediately after the protesters did, which was shortly after 2 p.m. Now, to the casual reader, news that the nation's top law enforcement agency prepared ahead of time to combat possible violence on January 6th is reassuring. But to anyone who's closely followed the hyper-partisan activity of the FBI over the past several years, the article reads more like a confession confirming deep suspicions that the FBI played an instrumental role in prompting the events of that day, rather than act as a legitimate police force helping to keep lawmakers and American citizens safe. And those suspicions aren't without merit. 
In September, the New York Times confirmed that at least two FBI informants had infiltrated the Proud Boys, an alleged militia group that breached the Capitol that day. Defense attorneys disclosed in court documents that FBI agents were in the crowd. This is something the government seems very uh, reluctant to comment on, though. The Justice Department's scandal-ridden prosecution of several men charged with conspiring to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in 2020 continues to reveal disturbing details of how the FBI concocted the plot and managed every aspect until the end. More than a dozen informants and undercover agents executed the scheme, one FBI asset per defendant. Prosecutors continue to tie the kidnapping plot and January 6th together, a legal strategy that could backfire big time for federal prosecutors. More importantly, though, several agitators on January 6th, including Ray Epps and Stuart Rhodes, who is person one in the multi-defendant conspiracy case against the Oath Keepers, still have not been charged. Neither have dozens of protesters photographed wearing neon orange hats and electrical tape that day. So, as the nation approaches the one-year anniversary of what the Democrats and the Biden administration insist was an attack as grave as 9-11, the top unanswered question is, what did the FBI do, and when did it do it? At least one Republican congressman has already confronted Attorney General Merrick Garland about the FBI's involvement on January 6th. Playing a recording of Epps on the night of January 5th and two other occasions on January 6th where Epps was imploring people to go into the Capitol. U.S. Representative Thomas Massey asked Garland what he knew about his department's participation in the Capitol protest. Can you tell us without talking about particular videos how many agents or assets of the government were present on January 6th? Whether they agitated to go into the Capitol and if any of them did. And, of course, A.G. Garland, citing privacy concerns about an ongoing investigation, refused to answer. That's putting it mildly. The man nearly wet his pants trying to... Yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't even come up with the words. It scared him to be asked that under oath. That much was clear. Back to the article. Republicans have a duty to insist on getting the answers. The FBI is a corrupt body that's lost the trust of many Americans, including Republicans who historically supported the Bureau. If the FBI infiltrated political groups months ahead of the protest, orchestrated travel plans, and instigated criminal behavior, as the FBI apparently did in the Whitmer plot, well, the American people deserve to know. And Julie Kelly is boldly saying that there are more questions demanding answers, including why does the government continue to conceal 14,000 hours of surveillance video taken inside and outside the Capitol building on January 6th? If the attack was indeed an act of domestic terror, as Ray concluded, well, the public should see every minute of the footage. And frankly, if it was, I, I'm of the opinion we would be seeing that footage nonstop. It would be played as much as the footage of the planes flying into the Twin Towers because it would those in power would want to cement it in our minds. Look how horrible this was. But instead, the Justice Department continues to petition the court to keep every clip under a protective order with limited access even to the defendants and their attorneys. Why would they do that? I'm only guessing it, it must not help their case. The question that needs to be asked also is, who planted the alleged pipe bombs? 
outside the headquarters of the Republican National Committee and the Democratic National Committee on the evening of January 5th. That scare prompted the first set of evacuations right as Trump finished his speech at the ellipse the next day. Considering the excessive powers the FBI has used to hunt down capital trespassers, rather, including geofence warrants to collect cell phone data of everyone in the city that day, it's inexplicable that the perpetrator hasn't been caught and charged unless, of course, the perpetrator was a Fed. Who gave orders to the D.C. and Capitol Police to assault protesters with explosive devices like flashbangs, pepper balls, rubber bullets, and chemical spray? The unwarranted attacks led to most of the confrontations between police and protesters, resulting in more than 100 charges of assaulting police officers against Capitol protesters. At the same time, the government is concealing the names of the officers involved in the alleged attacks, contending they are crime victims and require privacy. You know, like the crime victims, the officers who beat, punched, stomped, and maced women inside the Lower West Terrace Tunnel that afternoon. One of those women, Victoria White, faces numerous criminal charges, but her brutal attackers have never been identified or charged. In any other case of police brutality, the names of the officers would be released almost immediately, but the rules are different for January 6th. We haven't even touched on... The Capitol cop, Michael Byrd, who shot and killed Ashley Babbitt and who remains on the force to this day. We'll be back to this in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing with you an article from Julie Kelly listing out some of the reasons why the insurrection narrative of January 6th is deeply in question. And it's something I'm just going to ask you to keep in mind because there's going to be a lot of drama tomorrow as the anniversary rolls around. And you're going to see, if you watch mainstream news and if you if you pay attention to the political class, you're going to see a lot of people, you know, strutting around in front of the cameras, trying to position themselves for optimum exposure so that they can get up there and emote about how victimized they feel that that people questioned, you know, the the integrity of an election and people were 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 insurrecting against the government. <laughs> I'm sorry. It seems like so much contrived drama. Especially when you consider some of the questions that remain. Just a few of them. Who were the officers who let hundreds of people into the building that afternoon? I've seen the video. There came a point where those officers just stepped aside, pulled the velvet ropes aside, and waved people through, and allowed people to walk in there and look around. Now, this is not to the same people who, you know, broke in and who forced entry into the building. But I still think one of the biggest questions hanging over January 6th is, who were those people who were so well-organized, so well-practiced, who moved as a team, who moved with perfect economy of motion? There was not a wasted movement in what they did. And we're supposed to believe that, yes, these are the, uh, this is the rabble that was out there, you know, just going nuts, chimping out over an election that they felt didn't go their way. Now, it's, it's pretty fishy. Why did House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and uh, D.C. Muriel, Muriel Bowser reject offers for thousands of National Guard soldiers to assist with security on January 6th? 
And finally, where's the full autopsy report on Roseanne Boyland, one of two women who died on January 6th? Now, the D.C. coroner claims she died of an accidental drug overdose, but video and eyewitness accounts support a more sinister culprit that police contributed to, if not caused her death at the age of 34. Capitol Police Officers Aquilino Gonell and Harry Dunn testified that they handled her body before she was officially pronounced dead that evening around 6 p.m. So what exactly did they do? Julie Kelly says, unfortunately, with few exceptions, Republicans in Washington have shown no appetite for exposing the truth about January 6th. Republican senators have remained completely silent, except to go along with the armed insurrection narrative, and just a handful of Republican House members have called out the Justice Department's abusive investigation and political prison. So Democrats have the upper hand for now. If Republicans take over Congress next year, in other words, if the 2022 midterms go in favor of the Republicans, they must demand a full investigation under a new January 6th select committee. If the Capitol protest was, as it increasingly appears, an inside job, the American people are entitled to know the truth. I don't know. Maybe that comes off as just, you know, so much conspiracy theory. And it's possible. You know, I'm not, I wasn't there. I haven't handled the evidence. But looking at the way that these events are being used and looking at the language and the actions that followed, it seems very clear to me that uh, whoever was behind it, the political powers and the political class are using this as an excuse to weaponize all of government against anyone who questions what they are doing. I mean, it's you got to admit, it's a brilliant way to tar and feather your political opponents and to put targets on every single one of them. And when you start invoking things like, well, this is domestic terror and this is a war on extremism and we need to turn the same forces that we've been using to drone strike people all over the world on our own people, particularly those who are not going to go along with our plans to, to shackle them and collar them, yeah, it seems to me like uh, they're they're very frightened about losing power and losing control and doing everything they can to demonize and to marginalize and hopefully disenfranchise the people who would be likely to stand up to them. What a crazy time we live in. And thank you, Julie Kelly, for uh, taking the time to write this. Now, I want to shift gears here for just a second. And uh, just talk briefly about a New Year's resolution. This is from Robert E. Wright, writing for the American Institute for Economic Research. And I think he has some valid points worth considering here. He says, let lovers of liberty resolve this new year to turn against collectivist groupthink and return to the basic principles of economics and common sense that made America's first 245.5 years relatively happy and prosperous. Now, he says, readers sometimes complain that my words and sentences are too long. He says, I believe them, because telling assertions often go uncontested or ignored as if the readers did not understand the point. So this post is going to go over several points I made early in the pandemic, and again, very slowly, so that even a few collectivists may start to get it. Number one, Americans are allowed to die if they want to. Suicide is not a crime, although they will arrest you if you attempt it saying so i can eat a bullet or a smallpox pie if i want so long as i don't endanger others in the process 
Now, that also means that Americans can engage in risky behaviors that might kill them, like drinking alcohol in a crowded bar, even during a pandemic. They can skydive, bungee jump, base dive, free ski, and free dive, and so on. Yeah, they might die, but they might also live a fuller life than those who prefer cowering on the couch. Their bodies, their choice. Number two, Americans are presumed innocent until proven guilty. They must be accorded due process, and this includes authorities collecting evidence of wrongdoing only if they can show probable cause. So, sticking with the drinking analogy, Americans can't lawfully drive until sobering up because drunk driving endangers others, but the crime is driving under the influence, not going to the bar or having drinks. If there are no symptoms of drunkenness, individual drivers cannot lawfully be stopped or tested for DUI. If symptoms appear, relatively objective tests ascertain the degree of impairment. Drinking during a pandemic might reduce an infection that could spread to others, but there are symptoms and a test proving until there are symptoms and a test proving infection, there is no lawful cause to restrict individual freedom of movement or even a visit to another bar. Now, the NFL and other organizations are finally pushing back on the notion of asymptomatic spread of COVID. But science aside, punishing people on the mere possibility of illness was always morally and legally dubious. Number three, Americans are allowed to harm each other in minor ways. Robert Wright says, right now my neighbor is running his leaf blower. Now, I could ask him to stop until I'm done writing, but I can't legally compel him to do so until 11 p.m. We might talk about leaf blowing etiquette and such, but if my neighbor incidentally infects me with a contagion in the process, that's on me, not him. He can block a narrow, he can block traffic on a narrow road to make a left turn, beat me to the good stuff when shopping for Christmas presents, and insist on keeping a tree that obstructs my view of fireworks, etc., but I can do the same to him. Creating minor harms for others is a part of life, summed up by the credo of live and let live. Finally, American law generally follows the negative externality cost reduction principle laid out by economist Ronald Coase. In simpler terms, while I have a right not to be infected by others, they also have a right to go about their business, and vice versa. Generally, the party who can most cheaply reduce the harm is the one legally and morally bound to do so in a free country. So if I have symptoms like snot oozing from my nose, it's right that I stay home and rest up. It's also the best thing for my health. So my harm mitigation cost is lower than that of keeping others locked away from my snot in their homes. If I have no symptoms, by contrast, others have the lowest cost of mitigation. So that may mean they stay healthy and boost their immune systems by eating a freaking vegetable or a piece of fruit every now and again. Maybe hit the gym instead of the buffet. Wow, this really hurts. Or if they face high risk, it may mean they stay home while the asymptomatic masses roam the earth unimpeded. Now he says points one through four are not easily contested individually, but together they constituted common sense until March 2020. Lockdowns violated them then, Mask and vaccine mandates do it now. I'll have a link to this in the show notes. Check it out at thebrianhydeshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. You know, if you're one of the thousands of people relocating to the Intermountain West, trying to find your place in that little island of freedom, 
First of all, congratulations. And by the way, if your journey has landed you in the great state of Utah, chances are good you're looking for a home. And if you're looking for a home, you may be looking for a mortgage. Well, if you are anywhere in the state of Utah, I would recommend that you contact my friend, my friends at the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah, to quickly get the loan you need at the best rates possible. Whether it's a VA loan, a traditional loan, a reverse mortgage, maybe you just want to refinance your existing home loan. Talk to Heather Turner and her team at Patriot Home Mortgage by calling 435-703-4522. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386, and Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Look, she has decades of experience. She knows how to get the results you need and get them quickly. And, of course, works for a company that really has the clout to make it happen. There's a link in my show notes that will give you her email. You can com- communicate with her directly. But to trust the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. So, one of the more positive developments we see going on right now has to do with the fact that uh, the mainstream media is having its first real encounter with reality in some time. And there's a commentary here that explains why it's losing the fight of its life thanks to Joe Rogan. This is from the, uh, quote, the Reagan, Reagan, quote, the Ravens fringe finance Substack. Now, there is a pay link, but I'm going to go ahead and link to the uh, uh, zerohedge.com article. This is really fascinating stuff, though. The author here says, I'm expecting one of the largest mainstream pivots in history in 2022, and it's going to be cap- catalyzed by capitalism as well as common sense. The writer says, a couple of things all happened together over the last 48 hours. First, I came up with the idea of writing 100 predictions for the year 2022 for my blog, Fringe Financed. It's a blog post that I might still wind up finishing at some point. And second, I listened to the Joe Rogan Experience podcast interview of mRNA inventor Dr. Robert Malone, MD, hours after the doctor was banned from Twitter for having opinions on COVID that stood at odds with the mainstream narrative. The opinions that Malone echoed during his Rogan appearance included, but were not limited to, calling the government out of control and lawless in their COVID response, stating mandates of experimental vaccines are explicitly illegal, noting that India had success in treating COVID early with drugs like ivermectin, saying a half million excess deaths have occurred due to government actions arguing that those with natural immunity have higher risk of vaccine adverse events and alleging that people are living through a mass formation psychosis. Now, the author here says, look, I'm not going to rehash all the doctor's points about COVID, but instead I will say I believe he made an extraordinary amount of thoughtful points that the mainstream media and big tech are too scared and or too stupid to touch on themselves. Among the 100 predictions I was going to make in my blog post was going to be calling for a drastic shift in the mainstream media in the coming year. So instead of 100 predictions, I decided instead to write this piece. Here's how it came to be. When the last hour of the podcast was coming to its conclusion, as I was finishing an eight-mile run, a thought dawned on me. This interview with Malone is now officially out there, and no matter how much anyone tries to censor it, it can't be taken back. As we all know, nowadays, when you make it on the Joe Rogan experience, you have officially made it. So, putting aside the obvious irony of Twitter attempting to ban somebody and the person in question going viral as a result, 
I also thought about how despite the fact that Malone's opinions have put him at odds with the mainstream media, who would never dare to have him on, Joe, Logan, Joe Rogan launched him past the usual media suspects and into the real mainstream. And the author says, I then thought to myself that in 2022, mainstream media as we know it, you know, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, etc., is going to be forced to change its narrative on COVID. It'll never happen, you're thinking to yourself, right? Well, he says, let me explain. The idea of the media being forced to change its tune on COVID is something I touched on a couple of days ago when I wrote about the Omicron variant and how the media is creating a mass hysteria mountain out of a molehill. But after listening to Dr. Malone's well-reasoned arguments, delivered for three straight hours concisely and calmly, it became clear to me that the entire mainstream media machine could wind up falling at the hands of content creators like Joe Rogan. Rogan generates so many views and has grown so quickly, strictly because he allows open dialogue, civil discourse, and approaches things with honest intent, that there's no financial incentive to deplatform him. Ever notice how YouTube apparently has no problem taking down Rogan's interview with Malone, but hasn't banned Rogan's channel from the site yet? See, one of the issues for media and political elites to consider is the fact that Rogan has supporters on both sides of the aisle. Now, these supporters watch him because he routinely touches on topics that are considered faux pas or irreverent. The question of whether or not Rogan's legacy and impact are, uh, are here and are going to remain here can be answered with a resounding yes. Rogan has thrived, whether intentionally bringing on people specifically because they're being censored or unintentionally shooting the crap with people he finds interesting from the start by shining light in the dark areas that the mainstream media refuses to discuss. In the same way that Bitcoin unintentionally became a global phenomenon as a result of the negative consequences of central banking, Joe Rogan has become a global phenomenon at the hands of the negative consequences of how the mainstream media and big tech does business. In fact, the author says it reminds me of the scene in the 1989 version of Batman where Batman tells the Joker, I'm going to kill you. To which the Joker reports, retorts rather, you idiot, you made me. Remember, you dropped me into that vat of chemicals. That wasn't easy to get over and don't think that I didn't try. And so, now as it stands, knobheads like Brian Steltler, Steltler and, and uh, his buffoons at uh, CNN who spent 2021 attacking Rogan now have little choice but to fall in line behind him. You see, one of the great things about being a leader in an industry, in this case media, is that you set the pace. You dictate the tone. You become the bar of expectation for integrity, honesty, open-mindedness, truthful dialogue, and creating discussion that benefits the greater good, not just those who you serve. Joe Rogan has raised the bar, whether people on the right or the left in the media or in politics care or not. Not only has Rogan taken the lead by several lengths, like Smarty Jones breaking loose at the final turn of Preakness, he also inspired and created a whole new crop of content creators that are following his model. In other words, it isn't just Joe Rogan that the mainstream media is up against. It's the hundreds, if not thousands, of content creators that are either looking to build media empires themselves or are simply just inspired by open dialogue like myself. In the words of Grace Wiedelberg, he's very popular, Ed. 
the sportos, the motorheads, the geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, dickheads, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. That's from, I think it's from uh, Ferris Bueller. <laughs> Nonetheless, the author says, I sense, or I, I think the result of seismic shift is going to be several fold. But the most important revelation I've come to is that the mainstream media is losing the fight of its life over the COVID narrative. If there's one thing we can agree on, it's that COVID is a tie that binds all 7 billion people on planet Earth right now. Everyone knows about it. Everybody's concerned about it. And everybody, to some degree, wants to stay informed about it. In fact, health officials in the media have made it this way. What they may not have known they were inadvertently doing, however, was opening up communication veins for people with integrity and honesty like Joe Rogan to dose them with a look at reason and honest inquiry. And this in turn has created a benchmark for the world to compare the mainstream media to, revealing them to be the hysterical, sensational maniacs that they've become. Now, the media already has taken a couple of serious L's during the Trump administration. When it came to Donald Trump, they manufactured most of the Russiagate story. They pushed the now-debunked Steele dossier. They covered up the Hunter Biden laptop story leading up to the election and routinely mangled Trump word, Trump's words to make it look as though he was an open supporter of white supremacy, despite him actually saying just the opposite. Now, the media always got away with it and always had an audience because half the country hated Donald Trump to begin with. But now, on a global scale, everyone is interested in developments pertaining to COVID and whether we know it or not, no matter how different our opinions are on COVID, we're all still unified by the same desires. We all want health. We all want security. We want to love our families. We want to be productive members of our community. And we want to live a life with purpose and meaning. So COVID has unified us more than we know. These tenets usurp our political biases, whether we know it or not. They also become vessels for earnest discussion about finding objective truths about COVID that will collectively benefit mankind. And if you think the numbskulls in the mainstream media had the four-dimensional chess skills necessary to see this coming, well, you've never watched Don Lemon's analysis of, well, anything. There is much more to this article. It is worth your time. It is linked in the show notes. We'll come back to it in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back again sharing this wonderful article from Quoth the the Raven. (laughs) There's some great sub stacks out there. I, I am really... I'm really happy to find that there are people out there producing this kind of content. And I am happy to see a story that says, look, the mainstream media is losing the fight of its life, all thanks to Joe Rogan. And this doesn't mean that, uh, yes, now I'm a Joe Rogan fanboy and, you know, I'm going to be wearing all the things he wears and, you know, doing all the things he does. I'm just grateful that there are voices out there like his that, uh, that have opened the way for lots of others like me. To, to speak the truth and to, to go around those mainstream media gatekeepers. And there are people with varying degrees of, of effectiveness out there speaking truth on a very, uh, very effective basis and, and on, a, on a daily basis. So I guess 
Don't try to pretend that change isn't being affected already. The article says, have you seen the recent reports about CNN essentially changing its entire programming lineup, likely due to a major ratings collapse? As reported by Zero Hedge back in November, citing former Mediaite and IJR managing editor and former breaking news editor at the D.C. Examiner, John Nicosia, CNN is going to revert to a 100% news channel, and a good number of CNN's talent slash staff will be fired as part of a major shakeup. And the author asks, have you seen the rise of sites like Substack? which you are reading this article on right now because of the censorship that the mainstream media's narrative has forced onto the public. Have you seen the customers and the subscribers willing to pay for content? Because even if you're not always right, they know you have a vested interest in finding the truth and trying to speak about it honestly. The author here says, I have. When I started this blog in August 2021, I didn't expect anyone would sign up, much like my podcast. My only goal was to speak openly and honestly about the issues I thought were important and were not being covered extensively enough. Well, four years after starting my podcast, I have over 5 million listens. Six months after this launch of my blog, I have about 10,000 people on my email list. More than I thought I'd have in 10 years of writing. And the author says, is it because I'm some great thought leader? Hell no. It's because people are desperate for truth and honesty. And it's a perfect example of how powerful the new wave of media is that's on its way. Now, again, the author says, I don't want to harp on the details of Robert Malone's interview. I encourage you to watch it. There's a link for it. But what I do want to say is that I'm predicting for 2022 that the media is going to make one of the biggest pivots on any topic it has ever made on COVID. Shouldn't be a problem, you'll think to yourself. After all, the media follows the truth, so what's so tough about making a pivot on a story? Well, let's get real. We all know that the media, both sides of the aisle, hates to correct itself, hates to pivot, and hates to do anything but double down on narratives that it's being fed, regardless of whether or not they are objectively true. So for 2022, I'm going to make a bold prediction. The media and maybe even politicians, are going to start to realize that the narratives they have been pushing with regard to COVID, lockdowns, vaccinations, and our economy are no longer being accepted at face value by their viewers. And the same capitalistic engine keeping Joe Rogan on the air is going to force the change in legacy media. Now, while they may not correct themselves totally or do a full 180-degree turn, they will fall in line behind those breaking new ground those breaking new ground in the space and that would be content creators like Rogan and they will start to commit more to reason and less to political narratives the author says i feel confident in making this prediction because i'm confident that the survival of many empires media empires depends on it now interestingly enough The author says, I know a lot of my readers are going to tell me this is nonsense. I'll be eating crow in a year. Well, that's fine. I won't be surprised if a major change doesn't happen either, but I felt strongly enough about it that I wanted to put it down and timestamp it today. If not for any other reason than to start the year with an optimistic outlook that a positive change could be on its way. So that's pretty bold. But I don't disagree. I I think that uh, you may see the media dragged into this, even though they've been loath to admit how wrong they were before. 
And frankly, I think we need more voices out there. I mean, some people look at this as, you know, a very competitive territorial thing. You know, if they if they could tinkle on a corner on their corner of the Internet, you know, market as their own, they would do it. Oh, I think there's abundant opportunity out there. I think there's abundant audience out there. And if you feel like you have a message that you are called to deliver. Well, I'd like to extend my encouragement to you and say, look, do it. You may think it's insignificant. Oh, but I don't even have, you know, I don't even have 10 listeners. I don't even have 10 followers, much less thousands or millions. It doesn't matter. Too often, I think we let ourselves get caught into this mindset of, well, you know, if it isn't happening big, if, it, if I'm not on the Joe Rogan experience, then, then none of this matters. No. Believe it or not, the things that have impact most often don't come from the top down. Every so often, you'll get something big. This interview with, uh, with Dr. Malone on the Joe Rogan experience, it's big. This is a big tipping point, and and more than anything, I I agree with the premise of this story that it shows that the narrative is no longer under the control of the narrative managers, something that directly challenges that narrative and and I'm sure infuriates those whose uh, power and livelihoods depend on it. It's out of their control. It went right over them, and the crowd is currently looking at it, examining it, picking it apart, and there ain't a dang thing they can do about it. That's good. But the most meaningful changes that you are likely to see in the world around you are going to come in small ways. And they're going to come as a result of people like you and me answering that sense of calling to stand up and to be counted. And it's not always going to look the same, okay? You, you don't have to have a radio show. You don't have to have a podcast. You don't even have to have a Substack account. But I promise you, if there's a message that you feel like I really should be sharing this message, there's a way for you to do it. And no matter who you're delivering that message to, it's, it's not so much, you know, the size of the crowd that you're speaking to. It's the quality of the message that you're delivering. Are you trying to give the best you can? Are you trying to speak the truth as honestly and sincerely as you can? I mean, this is going to sound superstitious to some people, but I just don't believe in coincidences. Five years ago yesterday, I was handed my walking papers uh, from a radio job, and it, it came out of the blue. It was one of those situations where it was like, wow. One, I got the, we decided to go another direction speeches. And I've talked about it before. I had a very clear heads up. I don't know what was going on. I mean, you know, some would say, well, the Holy Spirit told you. You're going to be let go tomorrow. All I know is I had a prompting, an impression. I knew somehow that I was going to be let go. And I felt like that heads up from the universe was enough to give me the strength to go, okay, then I will face it and, and trust that this is happening for a reason and it's going, to, uh, it's going to lead to something better. And it's funny, I posted, you know, hey, I'm looking for employment. Uh, Seriously, I'll entertain any options or opportunities. I looked back and I read through the comments that uh, some of my friends on Facebook had shared with me five years ago. And first of all, the goodness and the kindness that flowed to me at that time um, were, were almost overwhelming. 
But this thing that, that really struck me five years down the road reading those comments was how prescient a lot of those people were. And there were many who said, hey, you know, this is going to open the door to better things. And you really should consider, you know, getting into podcasting. And you should really consider, you know, looking at some of these other options, which I've done. So if, if it sounds superstitious to you, I'm not saying, boy, you, uh, you really should be a believer. But I do believe that God is at work in each one of our lives. And I think that when we are given the opportunity to, uh, to rise to some challenge or to, to answer a call, that he helps. I feel like I've seen that in my own life. And I feel like what I do on a daily basis, um, hopefully, is a reflection of, of that belief and that understanding that uh, it's, things are going to change. And while it seems traumatic at the time where it seems like, oh, this is terrible, what a, what a horrible thing to happen, I can honestly say most of the greatest things that have happened in my life showed up disguised as a setback. It took me a long time to realize that. But I'm glad that I finally made that connection. And thanks to those of you who listen, and thanks to those of you who support this program, I couldn't do it without you. This is The Brian Hyde Show.